Sometimes people ask me, they say, Nathan, did you grow up in a religious home? And I usually respond by saying, religious? No. I mean, we went to church every Sunday in the morning service and the evening service. We read the Bible around the dining room table every night as a family. We went on the mission trips that the youth group was doing. My parents were youth leaders in the church. We talked about God a lot, but religious? No. I thought of what we had as an active relationship with the living God. I thought of religion as that thing people did, the people who thought that what God wanted was just for us to follow his rules. That's why I say I didn't grow up in a religious household. Because in my mind, religion is that thing people do who think they're just supposed to follow God's rules, that that's what God wants. And to be tempting when we read something like Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, be tempting to think that, that all God really wants is for us to follow his rules. So just for the fun of it, just as a thought exercise, I began imagining, I began asking that question of this text. What is it that God wants? It can't just be that we would follow his rules. I see in this text that God wants something way deeper than that, way more than that, for us and from us. So let's ask that question. In fact, just as a thought exercise, I looked at it and I said, what if this was all we had? What if Exodus chapter 20 was the only Bible we had? There was no Genesis, there was no Psalms, there was no prophets, there was no Gospels, there was no epistles. What if all we knew of God and his communication was the Ten Commandments? And we asked the question, what is it that God wants? It would be tempting to think he wants religion from us. He wants us to follow his rules. But even in Exodus 20, even in the Ten Commandments, he shows us far deeper longings of his heart. So let's ask the question, what does God want? The first thing I see when I ask that question of this text is that God wants us to be free. He wants freedom for us. Look at in verse 2, before he lists the Ten Commandments, look what he reminds us of in verse 2. It says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I love this because that means everything we're about to read, all Ten Commandments, they are couched in this early statement from God. It's a reminder. God is saying, you're about to get some rules from me, which at first glance might feel constricting, might feel constraining, but remember who I am for you. I'm the one who set you free. I delivered you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I think what God is showing us here is he's saying, remember, I brought you out of, I brought you into freedom and out of the external forces of your slave owners, that external force of oppression and injustice. But now I'm giving you these laws. I brought you out into the wilderness and I'm giving you these laws not to set you free from these external forces, but to set you free from your own worst impulses, to keep you safe from one another, to give you freedom. God wants our freedom because he loves us. I was thinking about this. I was trying to think of a way to kind of illustrate this, and I thought back 
to when our son Riley was only nine months old. And I remember we went to the nine-month checkup with the pediatrician. We were living in New York City at the time. And little nine-month-old Riley, he was mobile at that time. He was everywhere. We were on the ninth floor of an apartment building. And I remember the nine-month checkup with the pediatrician. We were talking about this, about how we had toddler-proofed the home. You know, we had put various things around the house so that little mobile Riley couldn't get into them. And I remember the pediatrician looked at us and he said, yeah, your job for the next couple of years is to keep this thing alive. I laughed like you did, and then I looked at his face, and I realized he wasn't laughing. <laughs> he was quite serious. And I've been thinking about that with the Ten Commandments, because in my motivation to keep Riley safe and alive, I had to give him some very firm rules. When he got curious and he started exploring the window 90 feet above the avenue, I had to tell him, do not touch the window. When he started pulling on the bookshelf, that if it fell on him would crush him, I had to tell him, do not touch the bookshelf or the television or anything else in our apartment. The pediatrician's words were searing in my consciousness. Your job is to keep this thing alive. <laughs> and because I loved him, because I love my son, I gave him rules, you see. Not just to constrict him, not to spoil his day but because I wanted freedom for him and life for him. Could it be the same thing that our Father in heaven loves us enough to give us these rules that don't set us free from external captors, but set us free from our own worst impulses? The second half of the Ten Commandments, think of them as toddler-proofing. <laughs> think of them as sin-proofing. You shall not murder. Imagine for a second... Living in a society where there was no law against murder. Imagine walking down the sidewalk in your town. Do you feel very free in that moment? I don't. I'm terrified. You shall not commit adultery. I am free in my marriage knowing that Nancy's not going to go run off with someone else. It gives me freedom. It's not just a constraining and constricting law. You shall not steal. Again, imagine yourself living in a community where stealing was okay. I wouldn't feel very free or safe in that community. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Same thing. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Now, this one's interesting. This one really gets into the deep inner workings of our souls. You shall not covet. You shall not be envious of what your neighbor has. How free would you feel if you were, didn't envy anymore? You shall not covet your neighbor's house or his wife or his ox or his donkey or his Range Rover or his house in the Hamptons or, his, or her perfect hair or her vacation pictures on Facebook. Ah, oh, how freeing it would be if, if I obeyed this law and didn't covet, if I wasn't envious of what others around me you see, God wants freedom for us. It's one of the reasons he's given us his law. He set us free from the enemy. And now he's setting us free from our own worst impulses. If you ever question if God loves you, 
especially if you grew up in a religious household or it was all about the rules. Maybe you question God's love. God's just the one who wants me to follow his rules. Well, look again at the Ten Commandments. Maybe he's given us rules out of his love. Just like Nancy and I loved nine-month-old Riley, we wanted him to live, so we gave him firm commands. God loves us. And God wants to be our God. That's the second desire I see when I ask the question of the Ten Commandments, what does God want? Firstly, I see that He wants us to be free, but I also see that He simply wants to be our God. I see this in verse 3 and 4, where God gives this commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. I wonder if this is going all the way back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Do you remember those chapters where Adam and Eve were living in perfect harmony with one another and perfect harmony with God when God was their God and they were God's people? They obeyed His one command, do not eat of that tree. And He was in the right position in their lives. And then the serpent comes along in Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent is tempting Eve, and she's resisting temptation right up until the time the serpent says, you know, God doesn't want you to have this fruit because he knows that if you do, you'll be like God. And then suddenly it looks pleasing to her eye, and she takes a bite. That's original sin. It's saying, I kind of want to be in charge instead of God being in charge. And here in the Ten Commandments, this first commandment, after he establishes that he's for our freedom, he says, you shall have no other gods before me, including yourself, the God of self, the God of saying, I want to be in control. I want to make the decisions. I want to be the God of my own life. God wants to be our God again. He knows that that's the right order of things. Things will go so much better for us, and he will be honored and glorified. Things will be in right order in our lives. And he says, no other gods before me. And then he goes into this um, uh, carved image thing, and we're going to talk about this a lot more next Sunday, because you know what God's people are doing, don't you, when Moses is getting the Ten Commandments up the mountain? You know what they're doing at the bottom of the mountain, right? Stay tuned. Come next week. Bring your friends, because we're going to talk all about idolatry. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> really, you can bring your friends. I'll be nice to them. But we're going to talk all about idolatry, this, this creating things and then bowing down to them in our hearts. Uh, stay tuned for that next week. But God simply wants to be our God. He knows that that's the right order for things. But when I look at this whole chapter and I ask the question, what does God want? I think there's, a, there's an even deeper thing yet. He wants our freedom. He wants to be our God. But you know what God really wants? He wants you. And He wants me. He wants us as His own. He wants us back. Look at verse 5 with me. You shall not bow down to these other gods or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We have to talk about what that means, that God is jealous. It's confusing when you first read it because in our culture, we've really made 
these two words synonyms where we think of jealousy as the exact same as envy. How could God be envious, right? He doesn't say he's envious. He says he's jealous. So what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. So envy says, I want what you have. I want your nice things, or I want your money, or I want your good looks. That's envy. God obviously doesn't envy any of us. That'd be absurd. He's the God of the universe. But it says he's jealous. Envy says, I want what you have. Jealousy says, I want you. It's you that I want. Your attention. Your affection. Your love. Think about this. God is jealous for us. God of the universe thinks about you all the time. He's jealous for you. Wow. Maybe that's why this command right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, the one that gets the most real estate on the page, is the Sabbath. It's a chance for God to get us back for a day, to get our attention, to get our affection. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Holy just means separate, different, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. God is jealous for us. He wants our attention. He wants our affection. So he gives us this law saying, go ahead, do all your work, accomplish all your tasks in six days, but set apart, make special one day where it's just us together where I get you back for one day, where you worship me. I get to be your God and you get to be my people. You know, I experienced the, the power of this over the last few months of my life. When I think about that word jealous, that he's jealous for us, that he wants us, he wants our attention, he wants our affection, I'm actually picturing my daughter's face, Eva, she tells me when she's jealous for me. She wants daddy. You know, this fall, when we lost three out of four pastors, I had really long work weeks. I was really busy. And there were weekends where I, I messed up. I missed the Sabbath with my family, time with my family. And I, I heard it from my kids, you know. I saw it on, especially on my daughter's face, but also on my son Riley's face. You know, we moved house, which has been great. We lived in this tiny house around the corner. Now we live in this great big house, and it's awesome. But I got the sense from my kids, because I was so busy during all of that, I got the sense from my kids that they were saying to me, nice new house, Dad. We like the old one with you in it. You know, that's how God feels. For us, I see how busy you are. Seven days a week. One day a week, come into my house. I just want to be with you. This is a beautiful thing we're doing when we come together. In my house, we do pancakes every Saturday morning. That's a Sabbath ritual for us. It's like as regular as the rising and the setting of the sun. It's Saturday, there's pancakes in my house. And when I miss that, I, I hear about that from Eva, that's for sure. 
We didn't have pancakes last Saturday. We're going to have it again this Saturday. It's, a, it's, a, it's an appointment for us to be together. It's a ritual. Same thing. God says six days work, work, work. Yep. Seventh day, I have an appointment with you. I'm jealous for you. It's you that I want. Not just your rule keeping. It's you. I hope you hear this morning the heart of the Father. He's given us his commandments to set us free from our worst impulses, to reestablish the relationship, to be our God, but most of all, to get us back as his own. I'm going to pray for that right now, that Holy Spirit, I I pray that you would just um, show us the love of the Father. Show us the love of the Son that when we fail to keep these commandments, he went all the way to the cross keeping them for us, loving you with his whole heart and loving us as himself, even unto death. And Holy Spirit, show us how you invite us into this place. You invite us into the Sabbath, this place of rest, this place of restoration, this place of reconnecting with you. What an amazing thing that you are jealous for us. We want to come home to you today. Good Father, bring us home. Show us the love of your law, the freedom of your law, Amen. I invite you to stand for the communion hymn.